Come on down, boys and girls. It's so good to see all of you here in God's house this morning. We're going to worship Him because we want to worship Him all the time, but especially during the Christmas season, does it? It makes our worship of Him even more important and even more special because we worship God who came and was born as a baby in a manger, baby Jesus, and we love Him and we want to tell Him that in our worship this morning. Mackenzie Brown has our Happy Club bag this morning. Let's see what she brought. She's going to take it out of the bag for me. Let me see it, Mackenzie. Thank you. It's a trophy. Oh, it looks like somebody kicking soccer. Tift Area YMCA Soccer Fall 2012. Mackenzie brought her soccer trophy. Is there something special about this you wanted to share with us? Is this your first trophy? Her first trophy. Boys and girls, how many of you have trophies? A lot of us have trophies. I remember when I was your age, I wanted a whole room full of trophies. And anything I could do, somebody would say, would you do that? And I'd ask, can I get a trophy for that? Because trophies, I guess, were a way of reward, and they were a way of showing that, that you've done something. Pass that to Miss Sabina. That you've done something well. And I know, Mackenzie, this probably represents a lot of practice and a lot of games and a lot of hard work. And there's... Uh, a reward for it, a trophy that says you've done very well. I know I've talked about this before, but I, when I think about trophies, boys and girls, I think about the trophies in the Bible. And there's a passage at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul talks about a crown of righteousness that has been laid up for him in heaven. In Paul's day, crowns were like trophies. If you won something, if you did very well, you'd get like a a crown, and that crown might be made of fig leaves or ivy or something like that. But it was their way of rewarding somebody for doing well. And Paul said when he ran his race to serve the Lord, he wanted a crown of righteousness. So Mackenzie, I know a soccer trophy is important, and you're so proud of that, and you should be because it represents hard work and, and success. But even more important than soccer trophies are crowns of righteousness that God has awaiting us in heaven if we love him and serve him and follow him faithfully all our lives. So we, at your age, we can start out young doing that, and that makes it even more important. So let's pray together and ask God to help us serve him faithfully and have a crown awaiting us in heaven. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for loving us and for sending Jesus. Help us, Lord. To serve you faithfully and have a crown of righteousness one day in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, Mackenzie, for sharing your soccer trophy with us. Congratulations on getting that this year. Miss Sabine, let's give the bag to a boy this, this time. Where's Carter? I saw him here. There he is. Where's that bag, Miss Mackenzie? Okay, she was sitting on it. All right, you have, to, you have to share it. All right. Boys and girls, if you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina.
We do sing about the angels a lot, don't we? I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing. Hark, the herald angels sing.
May we pray. Dear Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you for this opportunity to come into your house and worship you. As we celebrate Christmas, we pray that you'd fill our hearts with love, joy, and peace. We thank you, dear Father, for loving the world so much that you sent your only Son into the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We thank you for our missionaries, those who have answered the call to go and spread the good news. Dear Father, we pray that you would bless them and protect them throughout the world and that many people will come to know you as Lord and Savior. As we prepare to give, we pray that you'd help us to give cheerfully, not out of a spirit of obligation, but because we love you and we adore you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
That's so worshipful. Thank you, choir. Thank you, handbells. I love bells anytime, but especially at Christmas. Well, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and traditionally, as I mentioned, it's the Sunday of Peace. The sermon is entitled Christmas Peace, John 14, 25 through 27 is the text. And I, I selected that passage because in this passage, Jesus told us that the peace that he brought us at Christmas, he did not take with him back to heaven, but he left it here behind for us to enjoy. And I've got to be honest, what troubles me is, is I don't see a lot of people enjoying the peace of Christmas this year or any year, especially if you turn on the 6 o'clock news. It's a sad world in which we live. John 14, 25 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And here we go. Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you, Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's something when you think about it. No matter what's going on around you, there is no cause for your hearts to be troubled or to be afraid because God is with us. Let's bow together. Father, if we could pick out one present that we wanted above all others, it would be a box wrapped up under the Christmas tree with our name on it, containing peace. Unfortunately, that's not a gift you can wrap up with paper. But it is a condition of the heart that is made possible by the Holy Spirit's presence within us. God, we desire that for ourselves, for our community, for our nation, and for our world. Where angels came to proclaim peace, our world is still waiting for it to come to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have been so amused in recent weeks about a new commercial that's been on TV. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but it's a a commercial for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And a gentleman is sitting on a sofa in the middle and two ladies are talking up a storm on either side of him. And he has a bucket of chicken in front of him and he offers them each a piece of fried chicken and there is silence. Have y'all seen that commercial? And, he, and, and, and the tagline says something about if you want peace, you know, give them a piece of chicken. I don't know. And then there's the next scene where two little children are fussing, and, and they, he hands them chocolate chip cookies. And all of a sudden, there is complete silence and peace. And uh, once again, the commercial says, for peace, give them a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, speaking on behalf of Baptists everywhere, fried chicken can cover a multitude of problems. But I'm afraid world peace is not one of them. I, was, uh, I, I did reflect on that commercial a little bit, though, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they, the advertisers put that commercial out at Christmas. 
Do you notice that? It's at Christmas that Kentucky Fried Chicken purports to bring peace because those advertisers know more than any other time of the year. I think when, when everything is happening at Christmas, all the craziness that's going on, people desire peace. That's what the Christmas story is all about. Angels came to shepherds abiding on the hillside and said in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And here in our passage this morning, Jesus says, and everything that Jesus says is true, he says that the peace that he brought with him to earth, he was not going to take back with him to heaven. But the peace he came to bring was going to abide here on earth in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, whom the Father will send in my name. And he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He was going to leave peace behind on earth with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to be the the conveyor of that peace that we so desperately need. We need it as much today as they needed it in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. Sadly enough, things have not changed all that much between us. Back in World War I, a soldier was getting letters from his wife, and in every letter she was whining or complaining or upset about something that was troubling her and finally the husband fighting in World War I had had enough and he wrote a letter back home saying, lady please no more letters let me fight this here war in peace. And that's what it seems like we have to do sometime. Surround ourselves with some kind of bubble of peace because of all the craziness that's going on around us. The angels said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That was in the Middle East. And I was thinking this week, I don't know of another time in the Middle East where there has been as much unrest as there is today. Think about it. Egypt is in turmoil. Syria is in a a civil war where the president's getting ready to fire chemical weapons on his own people. You've got the Palestinians and the Israelis uh, lobbing missiles at one another. You've got Ahmadinejad and Uh, Iran getting ready uh, for nuclear warheads, and you've got our own American troops in Afghanistan. This is the area of the world where the angels came to proclaim peace, and I don't know of another time in our world's history when there's been such unrest in our world there. It reminds me of Longfellow's poem that has been put to music, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. The third verse says, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace On earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So what do we do? Do we just wring our hands in despair and throw in the towel? As followers of Jesus, we can't do that. The Beatitudes in Matthew 5, one of them that haunts me, and and most of them do, says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. Peacemaker, that's someone, someone who goes out and makes 
peace, who wages peace, who works for peace. They shall be called the sons of God. Now, to be the son of someone means to embody the, the characteristics, the personality, the traits of that person. James and John were called the sons of thunder because they embodied that thunderous attitude. Peacemakers are called the sons of God because if you want to know what the character of God is, it's a peacemaker. And to the extent that you and I go out and wage peace and make peace, Jesus says in the Beatitude, we embody the characteristics of his Father. So how do we go about and do that? How how do we become peacemakers and enjoy this peace that Jesus leaves with us, not as the world gives? Give I unto you, says Jesus. Well, there's some things. What is peace? There's some things that it is not. First of all, peace is not the absence of conflict. The absence of conflict is just a lull in the action. The absence of conflict is just a a ceasefire, a temporary cessation of hostilities. It's not the end of the war, it's just a, a lull in the action. It reminds me of the little girl whose favorite pair of shoes were two sizes too small. And when someone asked her why they were her favorite pair of shoes, she said, because it feels so good when I take them off. And that's the way it is for us sometimes. Peace is is not real peace. It's just the absence, the temporary absence of conflict. And it's got to be renegotiated and reestablished every day. It is a teasing kind of peace that you and I probably read about in high school when we read All Quiet on the Western Front. You remember reading that? All quiet on the Western Front. It takes place in the trench warfare of World War I, and, and there is mustard gas, and there is barbed wire, and there is smoke, and there is hostility between the, the two sides, the French and the German, and, and the English fighting in those trenches. And uh, Christmas Eve, something amazing happens. Someone in one of the trenches starts humming a Christmas carol, and the other side picks it up. And then the other side begins to sing, and the two sides are singing Christmas carols together. And before you know it, one head pops up out of the trench, and and another head pops up, and they come out into no man's land. And they embrace, and they exchange Christmas gifts, and I think they play a game of soccer. And then Christmas Eve is over, and they go back to their trenches, and they line up in their gun sights once more, the head of that person they just embraced. On Christmas Eve. That is not peace. That is just the absence of conflict. Well, the avoidance of conflict is not peace either. The avoidance of conflict is just sticking our heads in the sand or escaping or retreating or in some kind of denial or apathy, saying that I'm not going to get involved. I'm going to avoid that conflict by staying over here. And, and I'll We've seen that happen so often in recent weeks, too. This past week, I couldn't believe it in the news about the altercation between the two people on the platform of the subway in New York City. One man pushed the other one over onto the train tracks. A photographer stood there for 30 seconds snapping pictures. There were people there, but no one reached out to try to pull the man off the tracks, and he was hit and killed by the subway 30 seconds later. Susan and I talked about that, and and wondered how people could stand by 
and watch that happen and do nothing. I guess they just didn't want to get involved. I, I asked Mark Myers if I could share this story. A couple weeks ago, he was driving north on Central, and a car ran the red light at 8th Street, and Mark hit him in the side. There was a woman, there was a witness who saw the accident, but refused to give her name and phone number because she did not want to get involved. Thankfully, a passenger in the other car confessed and said, yeah, the driver said he thought he could beat it, beat the light, but he didn't. So even though bystanders and witnesses didn't want to get involved, thankfully someone stood up and did. But that's the case it is so often today. We see conflict, we see problems, we see challenges, and yet we want to avoid it. We want to be removed from it. We can't be troubled by it. And so we refuse to get involved. That's the problem with the avoidance of conflict or or escaping conflict is that it denies life. Jesus didn't come to remove us from the world. He did not come to remove us from life. He called us to be the salt and light in the middle of the world. And think about it for a minute. That's what God did. God did not stay remain uh, did not remain aloof and uninvolved in the world. God sent his son Jesus. God rolled up his sleeves and got his hands dirty when he sent his son Jesus to be involved in the mess that we have created here. God is not removed or aloof and distant. He became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. And that message is replete throughout the New Testament. As a matter of fact, I was thinking this week in the Gospel of Matthew, it opens up in the first chapter saying that you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, Matthew 1. You turn to the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, and lo, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. So in the Gospel of Matthew was framed by this assurance that God is Emmanuel, he is with us. At the end, lo, I'm with you always. That is the message over and over again. God is with us in the middle of it. He didn't escape life. He does not want us to. He wants us to be involved in it and to make a difference in it. That's why I sent Jesus. Because the peace that Jesus offers is not of this world. If you try the things of this world, you will be sorely disappointed. But God came to give us a peace in the midst of the circumstances around us, not remove us from it, but in the middle of it, to have the peace that passeth all understanding where we can go out and wage peace and be peacemakers for those around us. That's why Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you, not as the world gives. Not that temporary peace the world gives, not the absence of conflict or the avoidance of conflict, but real peace in the midst of conflict. You can have peace knowing that God is in control and it's going to be All right. No matter what happens, it's going to be all right. 
no matter what is going on around you, it's going to be all right because God is in control. And you can have peace. I've mentioned my friend before, William Benton, who was pastor uh, up in South Carolina with me years ago. William contracted uh, kidney cancer and eventually it metastasized and it spread and we knew he was dying and I'd go to visit him from time to time because he was, he was such an inspiration and a, and a model of faith for me. And he said, we talked about death often and what it was going to be like and he said one thing, I'll never forget, he said one thing that has brought him such peace is knowing that whatever happens, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Because God's in control. And it's going to be all right. I'm facing that with my mom right now. My sister called me Friday and said that the social worker at the uh, assisted living where she's been said we need to go ahead and move her to the hospice residential facility. Uh, The tumor in her abdomen is growing and, and time is growing short. And I have the assurance that whatever happens in the days ahead, it's going to be all right. And there's a peace that Jesus gives that passes all understanding. It's not when everything around you is perfect, but it's when what's inside of you is taken care of. And when God's in control, there is peace. And it's going to be all right. And the Bible says when God is controlling our lives, then we cannot keep it inside, but it has to have some kind of outward expression. We cannot contain the peace that Jesus has given us, and he expects us to go out and be peacemakers. And go out and wage peace around us where there is conflict, where there is hostility, where there are folks at odds and at enmity with one another. Then we as followers of the Prince of Peace cannot sit on the sideline. But we are expected to go out and become part of the solution and not remain part of the problem. And to the extent that we do that, I think the angel's prophecy, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, takes root in our world. In our world that is at war, where there are wars and rumors of wars, and I suppose until Jesus comes again, always will be. But we can be peacemakers, we can wage peace, and we can go out and fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 2.4 where it says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Amen. Let that day come soon, Lord Jesus, when we can beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and nations will not lift up sword against nation and we will not learn war anymore. Because when that day comes, the fourth verse of Longfellow's poem will come to pass. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. 
For wrong shall fail and right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. We are called to be peacemakers. And to the extent that we fulfill that prophecy, we are sons and daughters of God embodying the characteristics and the traits of our Heavenly Father. So we are to seek peace, we are to pray for peace, and we are to go out from here and wage peace and make a difference in our world that knows no peace. If we're going to be followers of the Prince of Peace, we have no choice. My peace I leave with you. Peace give I unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If your heart is troubled, if you are fearful, the Prince of Peace can come into your heart and reign supreme. And to the extent that you allow him to do that, you'll know the peace that passes all understanding. I hope you can experience that peace in this Christmas season, regardless of what's going on around you. Let's bow together. Father, I can't remember a time, unless it was a world war, when there's been such unrest in our world, particularly in the Middle East, to the place where Angels came to proclaim peace, goodwill toward men. And where your only begotten son came as a baby to embody that peace in flesh and blood. When he returned to your side, he left his peace behind. Not as the world gives, not temporary peace, not just a brief absence of conflict or avoidance of conflict but the kind of peace we all long for and he promised that our hearts wouldn't have to be troubled or afraid because the peace that he offered would mean that everything would be all right regardless of our circumstances. Father, we pray for peace in our world. I pray for peace in the Middle East. From the beginning of time, it seems, nations have fought, peoples have picked up swords and spears, and there has been no peace. So we pray for that day to come, Lord, when peace would prevail. And to the extent that we can be peacemakers, Lord, give us the courage and boldness to do so. Not to sit on the sidelines, not to wring our hands in despair, not to throw in the towel and think that there's nothing that one person can do. 
but to be your sons and daughters by waging peace. Show us how to do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitational hymn this morning is Come to My Heart. You have to make room for him. I heard someone say one time that there is as much of God in your heart as you want. And to the extent that you make room for him, he'll come in and fill. But if you have your heart filled with other things, then you've left no room for him. So clear a space out and let him fill you this day. And then when you do that, go out and be a peacemaker and wage peace in the world around us. I'll be at the front to receive you if you need Jesus in your life, professing your faith through dedicating your life.